New York City is filled with people of all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. Many are born and bred here. Others move to the big city to fulfill their dreams. Former Mayor Ed Koch once said, you're a true New Yorker after living in the Big Apple for at least 10 years. But nevertheless, battles sometimes erupt over when you can say you're from New York, despite your place of origin. So this week, we're hearing from a born and bred New Yorker, a transplant, and a writer who lived here, left, and isn't looking back. And once I left New York, I just realized that my life was was just as good, if not better, than any of the years I spent in New York, and, and I was having just as great a time and learning just as much. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Nina Habib Spencer is a writer who's lived her whole life in New York City. She has a list of a few things that distinguish a lifer from a transplant. I've got nothing against transplants. Heck, I married one. Transplanted New Yorkers are here because they chose to be, and therefore they're often pleasant. Sometimes they have California accents that are so adorable and outdoorsy, or southern accents that melt the heart, or vaguely Bostonian accents that, fine, we'll accept them, but don't you dare wear any Red Sox stuff, so help me God. Native New Yorkers, or lifers as we call ourselves, are a somewhat different breed. There are a few ways to tell us from the transplants. For your pleasure, I've made a list. Totally inappropriate winter attire. If it's 17 degrees out and you see a woman in a short navy pea coat, a cotton pencil skirt, and fishnet stockings, she's from here. If there's two feet of snow on the ground and the man in front of you is ruining his Italian loafers, he's from here. I'm not sure what the deal is with the man, but I can with 100% certainty tell you why the woman's doing it. Fear of negating her hotness factor. Fashionable native New York women hate to let something as minor as blistering frostbite detract from the va-va-voom they've maintained the other nine months of the year. It's perfectly logical. I was one of these women until I started dating my husband, who's from Rochester, and instantly assessed my winter wardrobe as absurd. He dragged me to Patagonia and bought me a giant yellow parka and fleece half-zip. And now when I walk around the street during the winter, I'm toasty warm and no one bothers me for directions. It's awesome. Native New Yorkers don't romanticize the old Times Square. If you're at a party and some guy starts complaining about how clean and safe and family-friendly Times Square is today and starts pining away for the gritty reality of the old days, he's probably not from here. The Times Square he's imagining is the one he saw in Midnight Cowboy in that film class in college. And as nasty as it was on screen, the reality was worse. People who grew up here remember walking, terror-stricken, clutching their wallets and purses through drug dealers, quintuple-X movie theaters, and flying pages of Bob Guccione magazines. So most Native New Yorkers are thrilled to see Times Square clogged with Texans, because the Times Square of today means money. Money for our great city, and every New Yorker knows the value of that. Uh, in fact, uh, I got a size 3 Phantom t-shirt here that would look adorable on you, little guy. 26 bucks, it's yours! Also, Native New Yorkers are not that impressed with Brooklyn. I mean, many of us are actually from Brooklyn, so we love the borough, but all these food co-op wars and $1,500 strollers, it's just not a fixation. Yeah, we'll go to Williamsburg to try the artisanal condiments. We'll mistakenly toss a sexy mane of hair in Adrian Grenier's face and an, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were behind me the whole time moment. But when it comes down to it, Native non-Brooklynites recognize one fact that prevents us from getting too attached. Brooklyn's a pain in the tush to get to. And if there's one thing natives hate, it's anything that involves the J-train. 
As a footnote, if you've named your child Brooklyn, you are definitely not from Brooklyn, just like no Parisian is naming their kid Paris. But fine, go ahead and do it. I'm not judging. Much. Native New Yorkers will also talk to anyone. Maybe it comes from living your entire life pressed up against other people, but Natives are very inclined to give advice, share details of lancing boils, and grouse and gripe to anyone within earshot. My aforementioned husband, the one from Rochester, lived in the village for nine years before we got married and spoke to no one, no one, in his building. He went to the famed Ottomanelli's butcher shop once a week and didn't even know what borough the family was from. One day in the neighborhood, and I knew the history. They're from Staten Island. They each have such and such number of children. Imagine my shock when hubby said this was the first he was hearing of it. I didn't move to New York to talk to people, honey, he explained. Well, that's too bad, I said. You married me. We're talking. Lastly, I understand that many transplants may not know, or worse, may not care about Fran Drescher. How can this be, my native friends may ask. Don't they remember? Ba-na-na-na-na-na-na! She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend threw her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny. Still nothing. The nanny. The super New York-accented, big-haired, leopard-print, miniskirt-wearing Jewish goddess of comedy. Really? Okay, you remember her as Bobby Fleckman, right? You put a greased, naked woman on all fours with a dog collar around her neck with a leash and pushing a black glove in her face to sniff it. You don't find that offensive? You don't find that sexist? Right? What? You haven't seen Spinal Tap either? Oh, jeez. Now, these may seem like insurmountable differences. How can two people, the transplant and the native, date, marry, and even have kids, given these shocking variations in preferences and behavior? But despite the odds, it does happen. In thousands, maybe millions, of households across the five boroughs right now, there's someone from Bayside making eggs while someone from Baton Rouge brushes her teeth, or someone from Canarsie taking out the trash while someone from Cameroon listens to this show. These souls are a testament to our city's greatest attribute, its ability to make a New Yorker out of anyone. Oh, there's someone trying to get into the recording booth. Hey, I'm talking here. Yeesh. Nina Habib Spencer is a writer from Riverdale. Professional storyteller Regina Ress was born in Pittsburgh, but starting at the age of six, she had her sights set on New York City. She says her deep love for the city is what makes her a true New Yorker. Native New Yorker or transplant? I think that is a slippery dichotomy. Look, I wasn't born in New York, but I am a New Yorker. When I'm out of the U.S. and people ask me where I come from, I don't say America. I say New York City. I'm a transplant. I am. But I'm a transplant with a very deep taproot. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But I grew up listening to Broadway show albums and going to see first-run national tours of Broadway shows. I still remember the first two I saw, Brigadoon and Finian's Rainbow. I was six, and I already had my sights set on Broadway. We had The New Yorker delivered to our house. I grew up on those cartoons. That's kind of like, well, like subliminally mainlining a New York sensibility, or at least a New York sense of humor. 
may be born in Pittsburgh, but definitely being bred to be a New Yorker. When I was 12, I saw Carol Channing on tour in Wonderful Town. On your right, Washington Square, right in the heart of Greenwich Village. And I could not wait to get to Greenwich Village. My first actual trip to New York when I was 15, I didn't get to Washington Square, but I saw three brilliant Broadway shows featuring five legendary theatrical stars. Talk about mainlining. I was hooked. And a year later, I got to Greenwich Village, to Christopher Street. I saw the Three Penny Opera at the Theatre de Lise. Now, it may be the Lucille Lortel at this point, but to me, it will always be the Theatre de Lise. Does that give me real New Yorker brownie points? I think so. In 1966, I moved to New York and landed on the one-block-long iconic Cornelia Street, three blocks from Washington Square, right in the heart of Greenwich Village. I lived in unbelievably dark, cramped quarters in a small building at the other end of the street from Zampieri's Bakery. Best breadsticks in New York. And whatever else was on those trucks, I was instructed not to ask. The original Murray's Cheese Store was right across the street. That was three Murray's Cheese Stores ago. Old Man Murray was in there slicing cheese. It was a bodega. Now it's an international institution or a tourist trap. Depends on how you look at it. On my cranky days when I'm trying to get somewhere and my New York pace is way slowed down by the tour groups on Bleecker Street, I look at it as a tourist trap. Does that make me a New Yorker? I think so. I left Cornelia Street and New York after a year, but that was quite an infusion of New Yorkitude. And then, after a quick couple of years in Boston and Philly, neither one of which rubbed off on me, I landed back here in 1970, this time East 10th Street, between 1st and A. You did not cross A. Guaranteed mugging at knife point. A friend and I shared a floor through in a wildly leaning tenement next to the Russian baths. There was no bathroom in the apartment, just a sink and a tub in the kitchen, so we got a friend to build a bathroom around the tub. A friend of a friend of a friend of ours got his friend, an illegal Irish immigrant who happened to know plumbing, to turn the pipes from our toilet in the hall and run them into the newly and surreptitiously constructed bathroom in the kitchen. The landlord was paying no attention and could care less. A group of us painted the lower part of the front of the building a tasteful shade of gray, black trim around the windows, and the front door we painted cherry red. We thought it looked great. Our old-world Ukrainian neighbors thought it looked like a damn whorehouse. We painted the door black. East 10th Street was crazy, but it was so damn much fun, and for some bizarre reason I felt right at home, even hanging out with the neighbors in the evening, sitting on the garbage cans in front of the building. Where else was there to sit? And then I found my own place in the West Village, in another old tenement, and my apartment was a wreck, literally. Big chunks of plaster on the floor, five layers of filthy cracked linoleum, the electricity consisted of one overhead light in each room with a dangling pull chain. No bathroom, of course, but the toilet was in the apartment. In a WC, the size of the toilet, but you didn't have to go out in the hall to pee at night. 
There wasn't even a bathtub in that kitchen, just a small sink. I guess in the old days you either got a bathtub or a toilet. To move in, I was offered a new stove, refrigerator, sink, and a shower, but I had to fix the place myself. Take it as it is was the deal. I took it, and I tore up and carried out bags and bags of old linoleum, exposing the not-so-bad floorboards. I paper-macheted the crumbling walls with newspaper and painted them white. I ran extension cords out of those light sockets and down the walls to plug in my record player and lamp. My furniture was based on 28 wooden milk crates filched from various street corners. Life in those days was a kind of guerrilla action. And I moved in. And I've been living in that apartment ever since. Am I a real New Yorker? You bet. You know, I think what it takes to be a New Yorker is loving the city deeply, whatever slice of it you find yourself in. I have a certain view of it, having arrived when I did with all my starving artist romance about it and my interactions with the old Italian neighbors. I mean, when I moved into my apartment, there were people in this building who spoke only Italian, including the ancient strega nonna across the hall, who was maybe five feet tall, wore shapeless black dresses, and tended to squint at me sideways through dark, disapproving eyes. And mind you, I still buy fresh, hot, and dripping with milk mozzarella from Joe's Dairy down on Sullivan by St. Anthony's Church. But that third incarnation of Murray's Cheese Store on Bleecker, the new one, filled with tour groups as it is, can't be beat for fabulous. Fabulous. I'm a storyteller. As a storyteller, I've worked in every borough of the city. I travel to some amazing corners, from the beaches of Rockaway and City Island to the African and Mexican grocery stores of the Bronx and Staten Island, not to mention the school in Queens where there were 35 languages being spoken, 35. I've studied a lot of history of New York. I even told the story of the building of the IRT subway for the Transit Museum. And note, I happen to know the difference between the IRT, BMT, and IND. Now, how many people born here know that? Yeah, what makes a real New Yorker? I think it's a deep love of the city, which, of course, often manifests as a love-hate relationship, whole other story, and a certain... No-nonsense attitude. Remember that wonderful line by Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy? Hey, I'm walking here. Well, that's me trying to get through the gazillion tourists who descend on Greenwich Village on the weekends. Or, and, and here is, I think, I think a moment when my New Yorkitude came to the front. I was working for a month at Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. It's a wonderful place where people go to explore themselves. Process is encouraged. Process. Everyone is always in process. And finally, at some point in my time there in that la-la land on the Pacific Coast, I said to myself and one or two others who would understand, Hey, I'm going back to New York, where you're either on the effing bus or you're not. I think you're either a New Yorker or you're not. It's cellular. It's cellular, and it doesn't matter where you were born or where you happen to be at the moment. You're either on the effing bus or you're not. 
Regina Ress is a professional storyteller and has been living in Greenwich Village since 1970. It'll be as if this don't Poor Jefferson grew up dreaming of life in the big city, imagining it to be just like a Spike Lee movie. He's Gawker's West Coast editor. Yes, you heard me right. West Coast. After living in New York City for a few years, he decided that dream wasn't for him anymore. He joins me now on the phone from Los Angeles. Cord, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Now you are joining us on the phone from L.A., which is your current home, right? Yes, yes. How long have you been in L.A. now? I've been in L.A. for about two years this time. I lived here uh, years ago, right after I graduated college, for about two and a half years. So um, we're going on nearly five years. How long has it been since you've lived in New York City? Um, Three years, about three and a half years. You wrote an article with the title, I used to love her, but I had to flee her on leaving New York. How has it been yeah. since you left New York? Uh, it's been great. I mean, it's been, it's been absolutely wonderful. I, uh, I love New York very much, but uh, I love L.A., uh, just as much, if not more, um, especially in my most recent venture here. Um, I still travel to New York pretty frequently. The company that I work for is based in New York, so I'm there uh, every three or four months. But these days, I, I enjoy uh, visiting much more than I think I would enjoy living there. But it was your childhood dream to live in New York City, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was my childhood dream. I think it was a lot of people's childhood dreams. But like uh, like a lot of uh, like the old adage says, be careful what you wish for. Um, and I think that I really, really am happy that I that I lived in New York for a part of my life. I think that I honestly do believe that there may be a day when I, when I for, for work reasons or even personal reasons, that I may uh, have to move back to New York. But for the time being, I really uh, enjoy where I am. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Arizona. I grew Well, I was born in Arizona, and then my family moved overseas for uh, several years, and we moved back to Arizona. So, but I, I consider Tucson, Arizona, home. So, what was that initial allure for you of New York City? Oh man, I think it's everything. Uh, you you see it in the movies. Uh, I I particularly really enjoyed uh, the work of Spike Lee, and I I sort of loved the way that Spike Lee depicted Brooklyn, and I thought that Brooklyn looked like such a really interesting, um, diverse, uh, sort of hectic, chaotic place. And for somebody that came from uh, I mean, Tucson's not a, a drastically small town, but it's relatively small to New York. And so to somebody who grew up in, a, in Tucson, which is kind of homogenous and small, uh, Brooklyn and uh, New York just seemed like completely different from everything that I was used to. And I loved the idea of um, there's just so much culture there and museums and films and theater and, and a lot of bands that I really loved. I was, I was a big fan of hip hop when I was younger. Um, I still am, but I was a big fan of uh, a lot of the hip-hop that was coming out of New York at the time, like Wu-Tang Clan and Biggie and all these kinds of guys who were, who were sort of coming up from Brooklyn and Staten Island and Manhattan. I was obsessed with them as well. So I think that was another big draw. I just loved everything that I, that I heard about New York. And, it, and I think that I'd be lying if I didn't say the element of, of sort of danger that existed in New York and the crime and things weren't, weren't kind of alluring as well for, uh, for a kid. Now, did New York City live up to those fantasies when you actually did arrive here? I think that's the thing. 
I think that um, I think that's part of the reason that I ended up kind of jaded by it is that New York did live up to a lot of those things, but I think that those things aren't. Um, as I, as I got older, I, I think those things weren't as exciting to me anymore. I think that you know, I, I I think that New York talks up the culture that it has very much, and it does have a lot of wonderful culture. But there's also a lot of cultural experiences um, in New York that aren't that great, and there are also a lot of cultural experiences in other parts of the country and other parts of the world that are just as just as wonderful and just as valid as anything you'll find in New York. And so I think that something that I just sort of that I wrote about my article is, is that once you sort of take a step back, you realize that New York is wonderful, but New York isn't the only place that has these kinds of experiences that you're looking for as a child. You're just kind of, there's a lot of culture around it, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk from New Yorkers themselves that New York is the best place on earth. You'll hear New Yorkers say that New York is the only city in the world, that New York is the only place that they can imagine themselves living. And for some people, that's fine. If, if that's your view, that's fine. But I think that for me, I, as I got older, I started to realize that all the things that I was uh, was obsessed with, as sort of, and thinking that was uh, sort of uniquely a New York thing, ended up not being a uniquely New York New York thing. And if you can find all these kinds of things in wonderful hip hop and wonderful movies and wonderful museums, other in places outside of Manhattan, did it take you leaving New York to realize that, or did you start to realize that while you were living in New York? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think that when when I was in New York, uh, when I was in New York for the first time, I was not making a lot of money. Uh, I was working at a job that I really didn't uh, enjoy, and I started to think, you know, as as I think sort of many New Yorkers that I've talked to after I wrote the piece have started to think that perhaps this isn't this isn't really worth it. You know, I, I think that I was I was kind of living on from going from check to check. Um, I was struggling to pay rent every month, and, and my rent was just vastly more expensive than it would have been anywhere else. My rent was, I mean, I live in a much bigger apartment by myself, um, and I pay much less than I was in New York to share an apartment with two other people. Um, and I remember just, I remember thinking to myself while I was still living there, you know, why am I doing this? I, I, I sort of still loved the city, but it, but the, but the struggle wasn't wasn't appealing to me, and I, and, it, and it wasn't sort of the the cons started to outweigh the pros. And then, so that was kind of my initial impetus for leaving. And then once I left, I realized, you know, that I was having a great time. I initially moved to Washington, D.C. at first, and then uh, I was in D.C. for about 18 months before I moved to L.A. And once I left New York, I just realized that my life was, was just as good, if not better, than any of the years that I spent in New York. And, and I was having just as great a time and learning just as much and, and, and having just as sort of rich experiences as I ever did in, in New York City. So it was a little bit of both. How do your New York City friends view your move to LA? <laughs> some of them, some of them uh, take pleasure, great pleasure in mocking me about it because I think that for for a lot of New Yorkers, the the kind of antithesis to their city is Los Angeles, and they think that uh, you go from you go from sort of this intellectual, sort of really high-minded, beautiful, old city to a place that's kind of like people consider to be ditzy and, and sort of young and stupid. Uh, that's what sort of people stereotype LA as being. So some of them give me hell, but I think that uh, every time that I've, that I've sort of had somebody visit who's never visited LA and, and showed them around and, and sort of showed them the experiences that I have and things that I really love about this city, a lot of them have, a lot of people sort of have admitted that they, that they had these horrible visions of Los Angeles that weren't really founded. And that, that, I mean, there's no way I, I personally hated the snow and hated the cold. And I think that a lot of people agree with me on that. And I don't think there's any way to argue that, 
that LA doesn't have sort of a much much better weather than New York. Um, I think that the we we have the we have the possibility of a of a of an earthquake, which which could be um, awful. But other than that, I think that um, my time here and, and my city that I live in now, my adopted city, is is, is sort of just as beautiful as as New York. I re- I know that's hard to believe if you're a New Yorker, but I promise it's true. You write in your article that eventually, while you were living in New York, you saw your fellow New Yorkers as teammates rather than neighbors because, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. sort of in it together, right? Do you feel mm-hmm. the same way about the folks in L.A.? Um, to be honest, no. That's, uh, that's, that's uh, because I think that the thing about New York, though, and one of the things that I really love about this city is that it kind of forces you to be clustered together. Uh, I think that there's something really beautiful about everybody sort of Get it, riding the subway in the mornings and being clustered together in the trains and and even as much as I hated that when I lived there and how sweaty it was in the in the uh, in the summers in the subways there's actually to me something really nice and pleasant about sort of being amongst your sort of fellow citizens every day and I think that that doesn't happen in Los Angeles uh, people I don't have a car but a lot of people that I know uh, have cars and that's kind of how you experience. Uh, travel in Los Angeles is in your car by yourself or with your small group of close friends. Um, but I think that that's kind of the, that kind of like community has become less important for me for whatever reason. I think that while LA doesn't have that kind of sense of deep um, pride in, in sort of being a New Yorker, I think that Los Angeles gives me, I mean, it gives me more space. Uh, I think it gives me um, more sort of options to do uh, with my friends. I think that in Los Angeles, you can be surfing and snowboarding in the same day, if you'd like, and you can be in the middle of the desert in an hour and a half, if you'd like. Um, and there's all these kinds of things that have become more important to me than just sort of being seen as like a tough citizen uh, with my fellow New Yorkers. So I think that, again, it's kind of what, what I really wanted out of a city when I was younger versus what I want out of a city nowadays has has kind of changed drastically. And while I think that there are, like, again, I, I think that there is something beautiful about that camaraderie that's built amongst New Yorkers, I, I, I don't think that that is as, as important to me as it once was. How do people in L.A. view us, us New Yorkers? Um, I think that, well, I think that, that one of the things that, I, at least amongst my L.A. friends, some of whom have lived in New York before, uh, I think that, that something that I've noticed is that people in L.A. tend to love New York, I mean, or, or at least if they don't love it, there's not a lot of this kind of uh, slagging off on it and saying that it's, it's this horrible place and, that, and some hellhole and how could anybody live there. For me, the, because there is a lot of animosity, I feel, thrown from New Yorkers at Angelinos that isn't returned from Angelina's. I think that Los Angeles has kind of accepted that it's a, it's a place that New York makes fun of, and we're totally fine with that. But uh, it's weird that, that the, that sort of hate isn't, isn't reciprocated. We, I don't think that uh, Los Angeles really cares to say that, that New York is a terrible place because I think a lot of people from LA uh, love New York. I, I think that because here's, here's another thing is that both L.A. and New York are very creative cities. And so while, while there isn't as much sort of publishing or, or great public radio, for instance, or you know, art galleries that there are in New York, there are still a lot of creative people in Los Angeles plying their craft out here. And for whatever reason, a lot of those people have to end up in New York from time to time. There's a lot of sort of crossover, and you'll meet a lot of people in New York who used to live in L.A. and vice versa. 
And so I think that uh, I would really love to see sort of some more bridge building between the cities and some some actual sort of uh, mutual respect. Uh, I think that Los Angeles tends to have a lot of respect for New York, and I'm not sure that that respect is is necessarily uh, given back, unfortunately. Cord Jefferson, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Cor Jefferson is Gawker's West Coast editor. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki, for the record, a Bronx native. My thanks to senior producer, Brooklyn-born Morlene Chin, and producer Julie Clark from Long Island. We love her anyway. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.